Adam Has a Beard is produced by Elements Divide and distributed by Elements Divide. Adam Has a Beard is sponsored by A Refined Man Barbershop, The Wandering Souls, Trio Board Skate Shop, Black Widow Razors, Checkout Code, A-H-A-B-B-W-R at Checkout, and its products. Don't forget to get your hair done by Darcy Hall at 360-481-9224. Today's musical intro is by Richard Sanchez. Enjoy the show. Two of our favorite characters from the show that we love, uh, uh, we can't even talk enough about it. We love Warrior. Everybody knows this. We love Warrior. We, Sean's got a brand new tattoo across his chest that says Warrior. And uh, we're, we're, we're super excited about this show. Today, we got Mr. Kieran Bue. <laughs> I don't know why I messed up. Don't, don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Tom Weston-Jones, who, you know, respectively, both of them, they, uh, there was one was uh, obviously Sergeant Bill O'Hara and one was Officer Lee. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So last time we we talked, obviously we we uh, we tried to surprise uh, Mr. Kieran here with a you know with the whole cast of everybody, but today we, we get the honor of talking to you guys specifically because one, we loved the rise and fall of both characters and the, both the storylines. So we saw we saw Bill O'Hara become a family man, become not a family man. We saw. Officer Lee become possibly one of the greatest detectives ever, <laughs> and then not. Yes. What an emotional roller coaster for you, gentlemen, huh? Yep. Yeah, I mean it was, wasn't it? I mean, um, outside of the fact that you know, filming can sometimes be quite difficult and stressful, and you need people to lean on. I felt like we both did that a little bit, as us, you know, just in everyday life as well. Um, so it was a, there was a nice symmetry there actually, but, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a, there was a hell of a lot to go through, not necessarily in personal life, not there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in the show, uh, the it's show. it it seemed like I mean you can totally tell like you know we experienced with uh, with speaking with all the other the the other actors and how just how well you, they all meshed specifically you two because you guys there's a lot of scenes that were just powerful and there was never a dull moment where you'd see you see sergeant bill o'hara wanted to pull his hair out because officer lee was by the book by the book (laughs) and so you guys fed off each other i mean the energy i mean you guys obviously off camera and on camera you guys just gelled what what was that like there well i mean it was to this day i think it's still probably one of the the nicest working environments that I've been in. And it would be hilarious if Kieran said the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom Winston Jones is a nightmare. <laughs> well, I hated everybody, but I'm a really good actor. So I just pretended I enjoyed it the whole time. <laughs> you convinced me. You really did. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I, 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 I couldn't tell you. I, this is the, the talent of casting directors, I suppose, that they really find people who slot into place. And I think a huge amount of work goes in to make sure that, you know, um, people aren't sociopaths, so they're going to be good to work with. And it, pretty much from the get-go, I think um, we were sort of on the same page, weren't we? 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like we met on the plane, actually, funnily enough. Um, the first like, half, yeah. pilot. Yeah. Uh, um, it was, we, but we were sitting like a few seats. He was a few seats ahead of me. And I was like, oh, man, I wish we could sit together and we could just talk the whole way. But um, we, we have the same agent, funnily enough, in London. And I knew as soon as I heard Tom had got cast, I knew of a few things he'd done and immediately just because of the caliber of, of clients I know that my, my agent has I thought he's going to be so good and I think that the way that the characters are written I mean the way that I, I Mike Bill meets Lee is in the in the break room when I'm charged with creating the Chinatown squad and the thing that I really like about him is that he he gets into it with one of the angriest most cantankerous veterans of the police force uh, mm -hmm. Officer Stone, played by Robert Hobbs, who's a fantastic South African actor, who is hilarious as well. But he and Tom get, uh, he and Lee get into this scrap, and mm -hmm. Bill sees something in Lee that he can use and utilize, and something he needs. At the same time as understanding that that Officer Stone has a problem with a guy from the south because they fought on separate sides in the war, and and also you know he's got issues from the war. Bill. It, there's, there is actually a compassion about the selection of Lee, a compassion for Lee and for Stone that Bill has, which it, it's not it's not signposted, it's not signalled, it's not hugely spotlight. But for me, playing Bill and and seeing who these different hodgepodge characters are, that's very present. And what's brilliant is, of course, he chooses him because he can stand up to people. Unfortunately, that means he's going to stand up to me, and thereby it's a brilliant dynamic. It means we we can have fun at work regardless of who we else we interact with because bill and lee can have a fight anywhere mm. <laughs> with each other <laughs> oh yes there were some fights in there oh man <laughs> so the roller coaster though i mean both of you guys did such a phenomenal job with acting you kind of just all when you the when the scene was focused on you guys individually it didn't matter what scene it was you know, there was, you know, there was one particular where, where Officer Lee discussed why he had even come from the South and what happened. I think at that moment, I was like, oh, shit, dude. Oh, my heart broke. And I didn't know what, oh, I didn't know what Sergeant Bill O'Hara was going to do. It's like, oh, no, he's going to turn him in. And all of a sudden, I was like, what just happened? <laughs> but you guys just, you guys just sold it. You know what I mean? For something that deep and something that of, of of that magnitude, you guys like totally sold it. What were you guys thinking? What where did you guys have to go for that scene? Because that was a big scene, and I know it wasn't like, yep, we're just gonna do it. It was something <laughs> deeper. It was like sometimes there was a few scenes where I think a couple of times we both turned to each other and kind of went like, we're so lucky to have this material. I felt really, really, really lucky to have some of the the scenes that I did, and the, the majority of those moments with 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 you, Kieran, and that's that scene specifically. There was a lot riding on it, just because it's. I think I think a lot of writers sometimes, and this is I didn't mean to be too disparaging to Brad, and but but sometimes you have the rubber ducky moment where someone goes into their past and they explain everything, but it felt very motivated. It felt very justified within the story because it was you know, immediate and in the moment. And I, I think for me as well, that scene did make me fall in love with with Bill in a way. Yep. 
And therefore Kieran too, I suppose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't believe it took you to episode seven. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It took me a while. <laughs> I had to be saved. I had to be the damsel. That was the right. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic, though. So yeah. I love that scene so much because for, for me, uh, we that was one of the... Um, when we got the job, we had a, quite a lot of scripts. We had about about episode six, with five wasn't there because five was the standalone at the end. So we had these five scripts, right? And seven was quite a new one we got in Cape Town. And it was like this thing of coming, this unpacking of Lee's story, the secret, like what, what is Lee's secret? So for, for me, coming off the back of having murdered um, Jack Dearman and done this awful heinous deed full of guilt and like, you know, and then to find out, you know, in the, in the bar when the bounty hunter comes to find me, you know, Bill is jumpy as fuck. You know, he's he's his, his PTSD is tom- totally spiking. And then to have this incident with Lee, you know, dramatically as an actor, you understand that there's a sort of twist where it needs to look as if Bill is absolutely gonna arrest this kid and he's gonna take him in, he's gonna take him down. But of course, you've got to earn you've got to earn that. It's pretty easy days work for me sitting opposite Tom as he does his monologue and I basically just sit there and try and be as present as I can as an actor for him so that he understands that I'm listening and with him every step of the way but Bill is giving him an obtuse um, response where he's unsure about what the outcome is you know there's two things going on there Um, and I used to refer to this speech that Tom had as his um, (laughs) as his Team America World Police moment where he (laughs) of the (laughs) I was just a boy when the infidels came to my village. <laughs> and, um, and I used to try and make Tom laugh with that, which is a bit naughty because, you know, that's what he's doing there is really technical yep. work that you think about, you concentrate on, and you do a lot of work on. And he's such a brilliant actor, but within that as well, you can try and hold things quite tightly and try and get it right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, was, I was really walking a tightrope of trying to make him laugh. But I need, but I think that really, <clears throat> I think that I think that really helped, actually. I think that I think that it it did, and I think it's something that you and I, um, I think Kieran and I have it in common, actually, is that we we both take the job seriously, we both take the scene seriously, but we don't, I, we we never take ourselves too seriously. So so it's quite easy, and it's quite helpful in a way to sort of jump in and out of that when we're on set. Uh, especially yeah. when you're doing a scene that requires so much focus to step away from it and just, you know, take the piss out of each other to then know you can go back into it is great. And we did that all the time. There are definitely times when like other people coming at a time when you're really trying to concentrate mm. and trying to talk to you or interrupt you is really, really not helpful. And you like just, there's a, a small window where you're like, just for this 30 seconds, I've really, really got to concentrate. And yeah. that's, I had a couple of moments on set where somebody just wanted to come up and say, hi, how are you doing? Just at that moment. And I'm like, no, just 30 seconds. God, oh. you know, Tom, yeah. Tom's one of those people that could come up to me and interrupt me pretty much any time at all. And I'd be like, <laughs> what, what are you, what are you going to say? Because I know we work as a partnership, you know, like I know when he needs backing up and he knows when I need backing up because you work on something for months and months. You're not necessarily always in the best shape every day mentally, or it's taxing or it's tight. You're tired. And yeah, it makes it really easy when you know your teammate, as it were, understands you well enough to go, I'm going to leave him alone. 
but I am also going to crack this joke. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let her rip. See what happens. <laughs> I'm just gonna lighten it slightly by making a joke and being like, "You right there, man?" <laughs> I think yeah. that was the, I think that was the the best part of the show is the fact that like everybody put in work. Everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did say that last last time, but with you guys specifically, especially being police officers and. In working the district you guys did, I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. It was absolutely 100% phenomenal. Oh, thank you. I have a theory that almost every TV show is is actually a cop show. Um, and even shows where, that are not cop shows that are like set in a hospital, it'll turn into the doctors investigating what's happened. And you're like, the doctors are now cops, you know? <laughs> like, and I always make a joke that, you know, they don't make dramas about yoga studios, really. They don't, you know, they always, it's a murder mystery kind of detective, find out the thing. It's a great format of storytelling of suspense and all these things that we love to be entertained with, you know, a quest. Um, is the Mandalorian a cop show? Yeah, there's a sheriff yeah. and there's yeah. a cop show, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like having that dynamic uh, and, and, and having a, work in this world where everybody's got an agenda and rubbing up against each other and I just want to lie and he wants to tell the truth and be noble and effectively be like Serpico and, and break through and, and do the right thing it's 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 it was a it was an absolute gift from the guys and I'm glad that we went that full journey to episode 10 where Lee just says I've had enough this is not yep. what I want to be and what I want to do god that was such a heartbreaking moment I just <clears throat> I mean, it was we were so invested in you guys, you know. Of course, Assam and Mai Ling and and Papa June and, and and Junior and and but you guys specifically, it's just like we were always on the edge of our seat at this house because this is a warrior household, by the way. Sean has his poster put up on the wall, which looks fantastic. On the wall. Uh, let's see if I could get rid of this background. Yeah. And, uh... and mine is, is look at that. Look at how beautiful that is. And I got the Mandalorian right there, of course. Amazing. <laughs> so, like I said, we're, we're completely invested. I mean, every episode we'd go back and sometimes I caught myself watching it two or three times. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to sneak in another episode of the same one that I just watched. You know what I mean? <laughs> And you'd always pick up different nuances, different things that you guys did to each other, with each other. And and like I caught myself that part where you guys were Lee's in just laying in his bed, and here's Officer O'Hara, Sergeant O'Hara come knocking on the door, gonna, gonna turn him in. I was absolutely 100 percent certain. And then the emotion that you guys put into it was the was the big thing and that chemistry, man. And then later on, later on, the big fight. Can we talk about the big fight? Which one? Well, we'll talk about the big, big fight at the very end, where I was just like, I was like so scared. I wanted to, I wanted to protect both of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the, <laughs> but the one at Sergeant O'Hara's house, where you saw him. Oh a, yeah! Oh my God! That was just such oh, yeah. a brutal episode. It, it was. I mean, what made it more brutal was the fact that the kids were involved. Hmm where everybody's innocence was all of a sudden gone. O'Hara's broken. Lee is out there. I mean, let's talk about this scene. Let's break the scene down. Okay. Well, that, so that was that was episode three? Yeah. It was three, wasn't it? 
Um, yeah. And we filmed it over the course of like a week or something, didn't we? Because we were double, that's not when we were double banking, but we were, I remember we filmed it back to back. Yeah. The scenes with director first and then with Brett and right. uh, uh, everybody else. And it was a long old, um, it was a long old chunk of time, but I loved, I loved filming that sequence. It, in, in, not in a, like a, I don't know, there's a bit, there's sometimes filming that kind of stuff can feel quite cathartic in a way. Um, you really exercise something within it. Um, but I just, I, I, the same with you, Kieran, like, I just loved working with the stunt guys on the yeah. job. I thought that, with the thing that I love so much about the show is that there's three really distinct worlds glommed together and you know and it it really works and they feel very separate but at the same time you get these characters like bill who sort of goes amongst all of them and moves through all of them and it feels adventurous almost every time that's the kind of thing happens but the stunts was something that uh i was so impressed with that element of it but then also the stunt work on top of it it just completely blew me away when i watched the second the first season definitely but when i watched the second season specifically it really really blew me away um, with how good it was, um, so yeah, that, filming that sequence, I, 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 it might have been slightly more intense for you because you know it being your family. I don't uh, know. I, the thing is, leading up to the explosion of the fight, I remember reading it in the script and thinking it happened too early. You know, thinking because uh, right through the whole of season one, um, whenever I was on the porch as Bill or standing in the house, I couldn't help think that, you know, there's the scene in episode six where I come home and Jack Damon's in my house with my baby mm. and everything that Bill gets up to and his proximity to Chinatown made me think, this guy as a family man is going to be so paranoid about who knows where he lives. So whenever he's on his porch, he's not rela he's, he's relaxing, but he's watching and he's vigilant. He's hypervigilant. And so... I, I kind of wanted to keep that tension and that powder keg going as long as possible. Whereas I think Jonathan and the writers were like, nah, let's blow it up. Let's get them in there. You know, let's, <laughs> it's it, everyone's weird. I mean, as soon as I knew when I read the first couple of scripts that I had kids, I was like, Oh no, they're going to send people to the house. I knew that. Um, and, and the construction of this explosion of the scene, you know, it's proceeding, proceeding it is, um, is the meal. Now I, Bill, finally cracks and tells Zing to go fuck himself. And then the next scene, I turn up at the police station and Lee's chopping into the side of beef. <laughs> yeah. And I invite him to dinner. <clears throat> Bill, Bill invites Lee to dinner because yeah. he wants Lee to be in his house to help protect his family. Yeah. But he also wants Lee there because he feels guilty that Lee's fucked up because Zing beat him up because of Bill. So Bill's guilty, but he also needs him and he's also frightened. He's going to tell everyone his secrets. So it's really complicated, you know? And then the meal, as an actor, I know if we make it too jolly, it's too far away from the trauma the being in. But if we don't make it relaxed and jolly enough, you don't earn the explosion of the fight. And I remember filming that scene and it's one of the one times Bill's really happy and it felt really weird to me. I do an impression of, um, of uh, Chief Flanagan played by David Butler, who again is another brilliant veteran mm -hmm. South African actor who so glad we got to work with. He's, in, he's an absolute gent. And I'm, I'm doing this daft impression of him and being happy. And it felt kind of unnatural to me in Bill's skin doing that. 
And then Tom gets up and, and, he, and he sort of says thank you to us in this really sweet way. And honestly, it's one of the times when I was on set and I was surprised by what someone did because he got really emotional. And I was like, oh shit, that was some good acting, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was good, I didn't expect that. <laughs> it, you know, and that's what it's like when you, when you work with people and you tell dick jokes between scenes and then you watch them and go, oh shit, yeah, oh yeah, we're doing this thing. Um, shooting the shooting the fight was a, was amazing because the Bill's house that's been sit, it's standing on the lot is probably still there now in Cape Town. Um, it's a real house, and they chopped out the side of the house, and then they put up all these cameras on wires. And so there are sequences where the fight does pretty much run from Tom coming through the door to almost the end in a one, mm. um, because that was one of the ways that David Petrarca wanted to shoot it. And, it, and it, I don't, it wasn't really necessary the way Brett wanted to construct the fight. David wanted it to feel just messy and less choreographed because we're not, we're not stylized fighters like the other ones need to be articulated when they're shot. This needed to be much more of a sort of visceral kind of emotional feeling. And I, I, I spent an awful lot of time on the stairs um, with a knife um, stabbing people and watching Tom do these incredible like capoeira style like <laughs> rolls across the table and it was, it, it, it was amazing to film and we were just really excited about how it, how much of an impact it was going to have when it was all put together mm. um i said this a lot of the times and, and but i really i always get covered in blood at work and if i could put anything in room 101 it would be a sticky neck and i've always <laughs> got a sticky neck at work i've always got blood in my neck and it's like uh, so that was one day when I was very much covered in it, but what a, what a great sequence. And Emily was so happy to be smashing stuff over people's heads. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good to see that she actually could defend herself. And we're like, oh, oh, oh shit, hits going down. Once we saw those kids are still involved and all those other guys came in there, we're like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I, I had to turn away. <laughs> It makes it, I mean, it makes it so real, you know, uh, especially yeah. for people with kids, you're like, holy crap. And just the whole, the whole sequence uh, up to the end of that episode is just like shocking. And it, it shocks the conscience. And you're like, you get, you get just totally invested in uh, every character in that scene, especially you guys. Um, and then that was, that was kind of the turning point for officer Lee uh, as he spirals kind of downhill um, in that one, one and of the things about that in particular is that that episode was filmed by David Petrarca, who's a brilliant director who we worked with last year too, and he's done a lot of Game of Thrones and stuff. And then the next block, so when you pick the scene up, the next, the beginning of the next episode, that block is directed by Lonnie. Now, Lonnie came in and he said, oh, "I'm going to do this really cool thing at the beginning of the episode with like, you know, like rats scurrying around and there's like a drain pipe dripping and like, and it's going to be quiet." And he said, and I'm going to be here with Tom. And he said, everything you're experiencing as a viewer is like Tom's like hypervigilant, like opioid ridden, exhausted point of view. And I was like, oh man, I can't wait to see this. Like, they think about everything, you know? Yeah. 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 Every detail. I mean, you could tell every, I mean, Sean and I would sit here and we talk or we text and like, dude, did you see that? Did you see what he did? Did you, did you understand? I'm like, Oh, we got it. <laughs> We're officially going to be officials here pretty quick. And it yeah. was just so captivating. And then of course, you know, I, I think that officer Lee's journey 
on the on the way down struck a, a, a real nerve because I've seen people do that. You know, I've seen people mm-hmm. take that long journey down. You're really great people, but then their soul was so cracked. Mm-hmm. And you're acting in that that whole thing was just so sold it. It was so magical and it was so heartbreaking. I what what do you think the bottom was between all of us here? What where was the where was the bottom for Officer Lee? Um uh, well thank you first of all um it means a lot to hear that um but yeah i th- i just have this really vivid memory of filming the post spiked uh the the the, the first morning where he's mm. met nelly the, the day after mm. uh, and and he is he wakes up and someone is peeing in an alleyway oh. and i just remember it so because it was beautiful they had it there was um the sun was rising just between the doorway it was a really beautiful shot. And I remember thinking like, if I, viscerally, if I woke up in this situation, I would, I I felt it, just the, the, the jag. Um, But yeah, he hit, he hit quite a few. Yeah. There were quite a few rocks on the way down. Um, I, I, I I don't know. The, um, I, I found the scene that we filmed the fight between the two of us in the precinct. <clears throat> really difficult to navigate when we were first approaching it. I don't know if you remember, Kieran, because it felt like so much was leading to something, mm-hmm. uh, to some kind of altercation. Uh, and for a while, I remember the fights, the, there was actually a, a longer fight sequence planned. But Kieran, I think very wisely, wanted to keep a lid on it, partly because of believability but also I think simplicity and some there was something about that that afterwards because it was so brief if it had been any more it would have cheapened the pain of us having done that to each other I think yeah I remember coming away from that and that feeling like I I felt I I felt really saddened actually I felt really Mm. saddened by it partly because I also um quite hurt your stunt double what was the lovely Mark, that's it. Yeah, I threw him Mark, on the double Mark. Yeah, because I I have a metal spine from a from yeah. an injury, and so Brett very kindly won't let me do certain things. And poor Mark stepped in, and Mark is a very enthusiastic stuntman. He's peppered all the way through the show, <laughs> and Tom uh, rugby tackled him and dumped him on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I put a bit of pepper in that one. I <laughs> Nice, very nice. And the last, la, la, there's a lot. Of, there, I mean, we could spend hours. But the last one thing before we move on to something kind of more important that, that, that Kieran and I we spoke about with Sean, we spoke about this. But I want to talk about one last scene, and it was the very last fight, where it looked like somebody pulled. You know when you have the well here we have. The, I don't know if you guys about have chainsaws too, but you know when you pull that goddamn chainsaw, you're like. Hap! And all of a sudden, you pull it, it won't start. You pull that thing again, and all of a sudden, it fires up, and you feel the power of God in you. That's what happened with Officer Lee when he got up off the ground and all of a sudden started chasing these rioters. Yeah. Yeah. That. Let's talk about that scene. Um, do you mean the, the process of him going to it or the actual fight itself afterwards? The process of uh, you guys just got the shit kicked out of you guys. The yeah. mob is now gone. <clears throat> This is completely gone. And then all of a sudden you guys picking yourself up 
and then Officer Lee, <laughs> Officer Sergeant O'Hara, everybody's starting to move around, but Officer Lee takes off. Like, like yeah, if, if there are certain moments within the show that you know you always want to believe and you should believe that your character is doing all the things for the right reasons but i really love it when characters make mistakes and they get blinkered and obviously it was kind of inevitable that uh, lee was going to do something stupid like that <laughs> it was sort of inevitable that he was going to be charging in to some some kind of situation like that um where he could feel that there was there was a deep unjust being committed um but yeah the the the, the actual riot was was bonkers i remember <laughs> partly because the schedule the schedule in a way i think almost helped because we were all kind of delirious while we were doing it yeah um but it was it was mad it was kind of terrifying whilst we were doing it um so in a way i felt I, I i didn't find it particularly difficult given just how beautiful the set was how immersive the whole experience was to put myself in those shoes i think kieran could agree that it was this that everything was so beautifully made mm. and it was you just it, it, you didn't have to do too much um gym, mental gymnastics to picture yourself in those shoes a lot, a lot we of we were also exhausted because we were shooting four episodes at once and we'd, yeah. we'd expended such a huge amount of energy anyway already at the beginning of the, sh the show. And, you know, um, Jonathan said to me at one point, I need to do something about you and Lee, Bill and Lee, because I I'm kind of, he said, I'm kind of sick of them arguing now. And I was like, you're writing it, mate. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we've had lots of different times where you know, when you're in the process of shooting something and there's so many characters, there's like little snippets of, of moments and stories and things get cut. Yeah. And we had a couple of moments in hours where there were parts that got cut, which means uh, as we're studying it as actors ready to shoot, you suddenly feel like, whoa, you just cut three scenes and there's a big jump now. So we were constantly in dialogue with the directors and the writers to, to say, can we just make sure we're keeping hold of things for us so that we feel like we're plotting these moments through. And there's so many times where there's a moment in the lockers where I have a go at him and he says, it was you, Bill, it was your fault. And, and that's like one really awful sort of exchange of honesty, which is really, really tough. And then later on, when he finds out that I've lied, Bill's lied again, and he confronts me and suggests that he's going to tell everyone in the police station. And we discussed all these things like in real detail, you know, and he's, 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 trying, he's threatening to expose me. And then Bill just says, yeah, but don't you know where you're standing? This is my, this is my police station, you know? And he's like, oh, Bill can be a good guy, but if you push him, he's also willing to go, don't push me, mate. I can lie better than you. And these guys are more on my side than they are yours. And it's like just torturing this poor guy who's right, yeah. he's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so like, for me playing it, Bill knows that too. The good, the good compass of Bill knows that Lee's right and he knows he's torturing him. But the survivor in Bill can't help but go, look, if it comes down to it, kid, I'm, I'm I will actually, if you push me far enough, I will take you out. Because you, if it's me or you, you know, and for me personally, I was like, that's my heat thing. I'm, I'm, I'm filming heat yeah. in my head, you know, I'm like, <laughs> and like, and when he goes off up the, up the road, 
and the lads are going, I'm not going after him. The good part of Bill that feels responsible for the torturing of someone who Bill really wishes he was like, you know, I'll go hobbling up the cobbles after him to try and stop him because I just, I mean, Bill's also, sorry to talk about just Bill, but Bill's also Catholic, so he feels guilty about everything. So like, <laughs> coming up the road to try and save this kid that he, you know, you know, I mean, again, to play that kind of thing and watch Tom, it's really, it's, it's, he made it so easy, you know, to, to play all these moments. Um, I just, I, I wish more than anyone that we could just go back and just continue yeah, doing, too. doing it. Um, and, and even, even if we go back and Lee doesn't come back to the police force, that, that, you know, we, we've talked about what on earth might happen. I kind of want Lee to become like a vigilante, like the green hornet mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> That's my vote. Come on, Officer Lee. Get, put on a cape, put on a mask, do something weird. Game. <laughs> yeah, it was such, such a great show. I mean, you guys did bravo to you guys, you know, hats off. We, we, we loved it. You know, we absolutely, absolutely loved it. You guys just you hit it out of the park. Amazing. Now I want to switch gears because Mr. Kieran. Yeah. What do you think about this statement? There is PTSD mm-hmm. in almost every occupation. Yeah. Recreational. There's always something happening. How do you think, how do you think people uh, overcome these kind of things? Do you think they overcome them? Um, well, I mean, I think there's potential PTSD for everybody. I mean, I, I've done an awful lot of research about it, having played, I mean, at the one point in my career, I, I, I was joking about it with someone that like something five out of the previous six characters I play had PTSD. Um, I did a play called After Miss Julie, which is written by Patrick Marber, and it's set in about 1944. And I ran my granddad, who was at the time about 90, and he... Um, my granddad spent the 24 hours of his 20th birthday on a ship in a tank waiting to go into the D-Day landings. Oh. And I, so I rang my granddad to talk about what his experience of PTSD was and also the attitude of PTSD from the Second World War to sort of present day where I was. And I said, did you experience PTSD? And he said, oh yeah. He said, I have it now. I said, I said do you ever get flashbacks and nightmares? And he said, oh, every night, yeah. And I, I said, okay. And, and what what have you done for that? He said, I've been medicated for for years. I've been dealing with it. And I was probably 30, I was about 32 then. And I realized I'd never had a conversation with my granddad about that, which was quite surprising to me. Um, and I played it, I played a soldier on British TV who had PTSD and I, and I went and shot the TV episode with a bunch of lads that had just come back from Afghanistan. And I was their sergeant. So they took us out to this place in outside of London and they taught me how to give orders and basically get the team to fan out and like clear a village. There's like these temporary military training grounds. And I talked to some of the lads about it as well. And an awful lot of the lads were like, we don't want to talk about that. You know, Damn. we don't want, we want to, we're not going to discuss that. Wow. So I had this sort of interesting education of, of talking to veterans of war about PTSD and then also people from what you might call domestic accidents like witnessing car crashes or having car crashes being in car crashes and the kind of trauma so um 
a, a friend of mine who who's an ex um, American military vet he gave me a book um, I forget the name of the title now I think it's called loving someone when you when someone you love has PTSD and one of the first things it says in it is you don't have to have existed in a war zone to have PTSD and it was a really great read and really opened my eyes to you know the level of denial that one can have about these things and how how tricky it can be for an individual to ask for help or even be aware that, that that's what they're carrying so as an actor we're really lucky to we're very lucky and privileged to get to be in a position of having to look at human behavior from a psychological level and, and investigate it with with respect and with um uh, from a distance um i mean think about now i I've, I've spoken to so many different types of people but a lot of soldiers and a lot of police as well about it um and a, and a few years ago i had an accident myself i had a surfing accident in the sea and i broke my back broke five bones in my back so i have a i have a spinal fusion which luckily enough i've recovered from the accident and i can i have full mobility i'm very very lucky to be alive but i did have ptsd myself from that accident and i went through the stuff that i'd actually studied where for a while, I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm totally fine, I'm totally fine, I don't need help. And I suddenly realized all the stuff that I've been studying and reading for work, thank God, was, 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 was relevant and applicable to me. So I got some help and I worked through my accident appropriately with people. And somebody I actually met initially to, to, to ask about my condition said to me, yeah, you don't have PTSD, you had a surfing accident. And I was like, I broke five bones in the sea. I broke five bones in the back in the sea. And I walked out of the sea, holding up my body with no support from my bones. So okay, how, much, how much more severe does it need to be for it? <laughs> Were you expecting bombs? Were you expecting this Kraken to come out? Of the, this, it was, it's traumatic. That, those it's kind traumatic. of things are traumatic. Yeah, I mean. Again, it doesn't have to be that extreme for you to have a help hold on. You know, in, and one, one thing I learned is a great book called Waking the Tiger. Um, it talks about animals and how in nature animals shake off trauma. So gazelles and animals that are being chased by predators will... Will, will run off after the fact and they will shake their bodies. So there's all kinds of therapies based on the observa observation of nature of, of animals successfully removing trauma from their bodies. And now people can apply it in humans. But personally now, if I feel stuff, I go for a walk in green spaces. I do a lot of gardening. And actually half of the battle is just breathing and recognizing it when it's happening and accepting it and being, and. But I'm, I'm a strange guy. I come from the north of England and I'm made up of two people. One person finds it really easy to ask for help and the other part goes, no, I'm fine, I'm a man and I'm just like my dad and I don't need any help. And it's really surprising to me that that can still kick in. So um, that's a lot of information about PTSD. But they, like I said, with, with getting a part like Bill, I was like, I've played facets of this guy before. I've met people who've been through experiences similar to what this guy might have had. Right. And I have my own experiences and luckily enough, I get to bring that to work. And um, yeah, you had something real mag. I mean, something just of great magnitude to draw from. Mm. I mean, a, a great wealth of, uh, of emotion or information. Mm. I mean, it, it, I think it's fantastic that you could, uh, you know, take that and actually accept it and learn from it, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was funny as an actor, it's like <laughs> there can be a sort of, I think Joey makes a joke about it on Friends about how how easily you can cry, you know, like there's 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 a sort of myth about how good of an actor you are, how easy it is for you to feel emotion and cry. But often in life, when people are upset, they don't they don't want to cry. They don't they often what they're trying to do is keep a lid on it. And the subtleties of human behavior and the subtleties of things are the stuff that I'm interested in. And the one of the things that I'm most interested in with somebody who does have an issue that they, they're struggling to ask for help with is observing them before they ask for help. Because once you ask for help, it's, it's always the right thing. <laughs> it's, there's such a strong, it's a strength in asking for help. But I've got, I, I am that person and I have compassion for anybody who can't ask for help because I know what it feels like. And, and one of the things about going to work for us is we want to entertain, but I'm, we're always trying to learn how to be better actors and observe human, we observe human behavior and then mimic it back. And hopefully at a, a level of detail that people feel rather than necessarily intellectualize, but hopefully that entertains and inspires. And if anything, I mean, and they recognize something that's human in it and say, oh, maybe that's me or maybe it's somebody I know. And yeah, um, the walking around the set as Bill and just constantly thinking about my own version of my experience personally of what hypervigilance feels like and think about a guy who's gone to war, who's worked on the streets for how many years, who has a drink problem, who has a gambling problem. <laughs> who has a Catholic problem, <laughs> who has a truth problem. Yeah. Standing next to a guy who's as good looking and as truth telling as Officer Lee. Who is a like, saint. <laughs> He's a saint, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. And then say, I got, I'm going to use this guy, but also, yeah. you know, like, I mean, um, yeah, yes. So to, I guess to answer your question, I believe that there's potential for that everywhere because it's a human, it's part of the human experience. I believe the statistic is something like one in three people in their lives will experience trauma, but it's probably higher than that, really. Yeah. Bystander trauma is an interesting thing I read about in one of the books that my 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 veteran friend, Rex, who's yeah, he's an ex-Marine. Um, he um the book he he offered me has a section in it about bystander trauma, about people witnessing car crashes. Mm and things like survivor guilt and things like that. And That's these are human, complicated human um, experiences that it's really interesting to observe and then, and then hopefully emulate and bring into the roles that we play as actors rather than just saying, this is a tough guy. Right. Bill's a tough guy. Bill's called Big Bill. So I'm like, okay, why is he Big Bill? And if you've got to project all the time, I, I have two brothers who are police officers, you know. Um, if you've got to project all the time that you're in control and that you're solid and you're capable and you're strong, but inside you feel like a husk and you feel weak and you, but you can't use the word weak and you can't tell anyone you feel weak, you know, how do you portray that? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, a, I mean, I said to Jonathan and Brad and the writers and everybody and, and Tom and the people, I feel like I won the lottery getting to go to work every day to play a guy like Bill. Yeah. Because I know people like Bill. Yeah, tough guys. Tough guys on the outside. 
but they're real they're human beings and it's a human thing as well to i mean people these days can call it toxic masculinity or whatever Mm -hmm. word they want to use i don't necessarily think that's necessarily helpful to call it that either but i think it's more i think the most manly thing anybody can do is 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 recognize these different facets that we are more than just one thing and that asking for help is not weak asking for help is the strongest thing you can do 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. hey so today this week let's just say within the past seven weeks seven seven days mm-hmm. what did you guys do mr tom mr kieran even sean what did you guys do for your mental health that's a huge thing sean and i i i I don't know if you've heard that the last uh, interview or in any of these episodes that we do, but Sean and I are big proponents of mental health. Um, Sean is, uh, you know, he's one of our veterans. He's our, he, we thank him for his service all the time. He's my homeboy. I love this guy. He's my brother. You know what I mean? But we, we tried to make this podcast something of an avenue for mental health um, for for tattoos for bad words for loud music for for whatever but we always always come back to mental health because we believe that if someone's listening or so we can help somebody do one thing learn something about mental health you know we, we think we've done our job even if it's just one person so i always ask every show what did you do for your mental health and today i'm asking you three uh in the last seven days um well, there's been, I mean, there's just been so much going on that as soon as you open a phone, the television, whatever, you're just, you're just bombarded with it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't like to be totally ignorant about everything, but just, yeah, it's been nice to step away from that a bit, in a way, although it's been quite hard. But I've been, um, for the last year, actually, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, for the last year, I kept a sort of daily, uh, every couple of days, I've done a journal. Nice. That's helped me massively. Yeah, it's something which um, I've done on on and off for a very, very long time. I've really stuck to more this year than ever. And it's really helped. It's just, it's such a simple thing. And I guess it's with all of these, um, these things that really help you in that way. The simplicity is the key. (laughs) 100%. And the, um, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that, that just feels like a, really simple thing for me that I've been able to maintain. So yeah. Simple and and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eating as many mince pies as I can as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Let me talk. Let's talk about pie. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Kieran. Um, I, well, I do a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I, um, since my accident, one of the things that I do is I walk, I go for a walk. Um, in a green space there's a, they talked about um, the people I got help from talked about that we keep tension and we keep stress in our hips we lock it in and the, the process of just simply walking at pace in a green space in itself is is a restorative practice that can shake again like shake out whatever it is that we're holding in and just get that so at the moment in Britain uh, the hours of light are quite small so every day in the in the in the sunlight i go out and i have a nice walk in a green space even if it's 20 you know 20 minutes you know it doesn't have to be a big commitment or be you know feel overwhelming i mean it sometimes can and that's one of the things for me is i can stack all the list of jobs i have to do on top and that'll push all of the things of self-care that i want to do 
out the way and then I just end up stressed. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I do that. I do, I do yoga. I do yoga quite a lot. And, um, and I play guitar. That's one of the ways I can sort of meditate is play guitar. Yes. And I have a cat, animals. I'm spending time with animals. That's one of my things is I, I let, I spend time with my cats who are scratching the doors right now. Like, <laughs> what are you doing dad? <laughs> They're always on my case, which is fine. That's wonderful, man. You got to have them furry, furry kids. You know, yeah. they're just not something you get and all of a sudden, yeah, you, you can leave or go. They're, they're, they're yeah. family members, you know? Totally. Bro, what about Love you, it. Sean? Uh, I've been doing doing a little bit of gaming here and there. It's uh, it's good therapy for me. But um, I actually, along with a couple of buddies, um, created a... Uh, veterans uh, gaming community specifically for veterans and uh, service members so yes. that we can bond uh, with a common common uh, 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 hobby and then uh, you know eventually we want to make it into a 501c and uh, give back to uh, our community as well um, yes. and just just uh, you know we, we Karen talked about it you know uh, in the in the veteran community and in, in the service member community there's a lot of uh, a lot of PTSD and there's a stigma, you know, it's, I don't think it's, um, uh, toxic masculinity. I think it's just a stigma that, uh, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about your feelings if you're a guy or, uh, whatever, um, you should, you should keep them in, you should drink water, you should move on, you know, in the army, in the infantry, that's what I was taught. You know, if you're hurt, uh, just grab some water, go, go ahead and move on. You're, you're fine. Don't, don't even worry about it. You're fine. And so you lost your leg. Guess what? Run it off. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> We wanted to make a community to, um, you know, you bond uh, through gaming and stuff and just being a veteran and having that. And then, you know, if somebody's having a problem, they're more apt to say, hey, hey, Sean, can I can I holler at you real quick? And, you know, uh, the, the suicide rate is insane for the veteran community. And then and then now on top of that, you have uh, the lockdown, stuff like that and all the added pressure. Um, so I've a lot, I've had a lot more time to game, do the podcast stuff like that. So I, I kind of wanted to put my, to put my energy into something that not only is going to help me, but it's going to help uh, way more people. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Really I love cool. that. What, what, what do you play, Sean? Um, so I play, uh, primarily I play call of duty, uh, Mo modern warfare. Um, we actually, uh, Adam, I are, are uh, good friends with, uh, Chad, Michael Collins. He plays Alex, uh, echo three, one in the game. Uh, so if you, if you do happen to play that, we'll, we'll be happy to have you on. And, uh, he's just, he's just like you guys, super humble, super cool. He's always texting me like, Hey, get on, we're playing. And, uh, <laughs> what else do I play? Um, I, I bought cold war. I'm not really a fan of it. The zombie uh, part is good. The other part, zombie is part's good. cool. Um, I just bought uh cyberpunk 2077. It's uh, oh, dude, you'll get, you'll it's get really cool. Hooked. You'll get hooked. My dude, obviously my gamer tag. So my gamer tag is John Denver. <laughs> the, <laughs> the most non-metal thing you could possibly find is John F. Denver. And people always ask me when we're on headsets, they're like, what, what does the F stand for? John fucking Denver. Nah, man. Fantastic. <laughs> fabulous they're like wow man but anyways that game is just so, so so you get so deep into it man i mean i don't even want to I, talk about it anymore <laughs> I, had a, I had a similar thing at the beginning of lockdown i played um i don't, I don't really play call of duty but i played um red dead redemption yes oh, yeah. yeah which is the most cinematic and also yes. really calming 
experience. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the one, and one, of, and I felt ridiculous admitting this to my wife and my friends who I told about it. But one of my favorite things to do was just to get on my horse and go for a ride <laughs> out, 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 on, out on the mountain and go out on the mountains. And then I realized I'm not going anywhere. I'm literally just going for a ride. Um, but it was actually that that felt like a therapy, like therapy in a way, definitely. Yeah, I'm sure it's 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 pretty black mirror when you think about it. Until <laughs> I'm getting the release from it, but it's an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah, the yeah. things they've done lately with these video games are just so cinematic. So you you find yourself yeah. just immersed in this world that you're not yep. a part of. You know, I mean, there's not very many things in life. For you. I mean, you can't walk up to somebody's vehicle and bam, headbutt them, take them out of the car, and <laughs> gonna go do donuts in the park. No, <laughs> the video games, yeah, but you know. And so for my oh. mental health, dude, I yeah, like I said, I was I'm learning um, the program Reaper, and. Yeah. And uh, my buddy, uh, Carl Johan Vidner from Sweden, he took me through this, this long thing of how to use this thing. Now, usually, because like I've had head trauma three years in a row, just massive concussions, just, just sucks. So learning just sucked. But with this program, for whatever reason, he's like, oh, hey, you can write drums. Hey, you, you like to play guitar, you can play some guitar. So now I've created this opus this big giant project of music just this wall of sound and just every time i'm playing it i'm like oh my god i find myself in there for hours <laughs> but I, oh yeah that's great yeah yeah I still, so my, I still haven't got my gaming uh up and running properly but my what? gaming name is kieran underscore bill o'hara <laughs> <laughs> It's not it's not a difficult code to crack, but um, <laughs> it was made it was made for me for the um, for the press for Warrior. We did some press and we did some stuff on that. Hey, hey, Perry. look oh, at this guy! Perry. Hey, <laughs> you guys, welcome! Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for the invite. Always, man. <laughs> I'm surprised you, you guys wanted me back. Oh come on now! Oh come man! On, come on now! Yes, I'm, we're. We're talking with Tom and Kieran and uh, Mr. Perry Young. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. I just wanted to to, to, to join because I want to hear what Tom's been up to. Oh, so, man. Perry. So keep talking, Tom. Yeah. Did I, did, or, or, or Kieran. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, but no interruption. We, we were just talking about games. Um, um, yeah. I just wanted to say one last thing about the you were saying, Sean, about um, guys, you know, um, not, you know, not being able to talk about the feelings and one of the things that i was so pleased about in season one of warrior was that um bill bill only makes a joke if he if he has something serious going on he'll either make a joke or a lie and he'll never really tell you the, tell anyone the truth to their face not certainly not a guy and that the only time he actually speaks from the heart to officer lee is 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 when he's in a coma <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time he does it and he's also drunk he gets drunk and then he talks to him and he tells him he's sorry and then he goes and shoots up the casino and that's when zing disarms him but we would we discussed about the fact that he can't he can't do that he can do lots of other things but he can't do that right so yeah that i just yeah. wanted to yeah that goes that. that goes hand in hand i mean that's that's almost a mirror of what uh society has has done to uh 
the males, uh, you know, not being able to release their feelings or saying it's a bad thing, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. It's one of those things that um, I was listening to Brené Brown was talking about, like one of the worst things that for words for a man to, to, to say or to have people view him as is weak. It's the word weak. Mm -hmm. That's the fear. The fear is being perceived weak or saying, I don't feel okay, or I, feel, I need something, or I'm not all right today. Like you can't be perceived as weak. And um, it's just such bullshit, really. Oh, really yeah, is. absolutely. Oh, 100%, I agree. Sometimes sometimes jobs, will, you'll do that to you too. If you get hurt at work or something and you say, I can't do that, or, or yeah. give me a minute. Let me, let me figure it, let me, let me get my head right. Yeah. You're perceived as weak. You're, you know, yeah. you're dismissed. You're, and, and all right, next person in. And you have more qualifications than the next person. So it's like, it's frustrating, you know? Yeah. It's funny, That's the good. moment in, before we go into the race, just after Lee's shown up for work and I tell him that he's got to come in sober and we're standing quietly waiting to go in. And then I hear this little, <laughs> I can hear and I, and I turn around and he's just like drinking out the thing. And, and in many ways, that's where that's sort of Lee meeting Officer Stone. The, the Stone at the very beginning of episode one that he has a fight with is the guy that is constantly topping up drinking to oh. cope with the situation he's found himself in. And suddenly Lee and Bill looking at him like, it's, it's either like, oh fuck, he's, he's finally broken or maybe he's finally learned. And that's so sad, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that it's got to that. Um, now the last key to the to the whole uh, warrior is obviously Papa June, you know he to see him right off into the sunset, man. <laughs> Mister Perry, what do you think about that, man? I mean, it was it was a you know it was a it was a obviously a meaningful moment to the character, you know, who spent his life building the hopway in Chinatown, <clears throat> and it was also a meaningful moment to me as as an actor. And given that role, given a, this kind of juicy moment with uh, Wang, Wang Chao to sort of just kind of like um, tell, tell it like it is, you know, like as, as um, Kieran said, men have emotions, we have feelings yeah. and he, he tries to hide it, you know, and he hide, hides it the best way he can. But when it comes down to taking care of his, asking Wang Chao to take care of his son, I mean, it, I really just kind of felt so grateful to Jonathan for writing this kind of sensitive scene for two Asian men to play. Yeah. You know, and, and it was just like quiet, you know, we don't have to say much, but it's just all there. And it's just so, so perfect, you know, to the, the silences, the beats, the pauses, and just to say and let each line resonate. And they're so rich and they're so full and they're like seeds. Each line is like a seed. You just want to plant it just right, you know, <laughs> and carefully, you know, yeah. but, um, and I was also excited to see where like, you know, it's not like Father June is never coming back, you know? Uh, and I talked to some of the uh, showrunners about it and um, they had ideas, you know, Brad Kane was like, well, where do you see him in season three? And there was no guarantee, you know, but he goes, but where do you see him? And I had all these ideas, you know, cause I'm like a, a, a fan of Chinese American history. You know, China, Chinatowns were planted all over America because of the railroads. While the railroads were being built, people were discovering new places. The Chinese were discovering new places in America that were like, hey, you know, I think I'll just 
um, you know, settle here be, even before the railroads were, railroads were finished. So I saw Father June on a journey following the railroads. He gets on the railroad and he goes, hey, I found another enclave. And maybe he gets in trouble there. Maybe right. he gets kidnapped. Maybe he gets recognized as the leader of the halfway who has fallen. And then the halfway has to come and wreck it, rescue him, you know, in another <laughs> like small town. Maybe he goes to Chicago. Maybe he makes it all the way to New York City. But um, I mean, it was just, it was juicy. It was rich. And there's a lot that can happen, even though he, he walks out of Chinatown. Doesn't mean it's at the end of Father June. I know, such absolutely, a heartbreak. Absolutely. Scene. It was so heartbreaking. I was like, no, God damn it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was in tears this whole, this last uh, episode of watching Officer Lee, you know, throw his badge and just walk out like a tough guy, walk out like legit, like you believed he's not coming back. And I was like, God, no, Officer Lee, fuck, no, don't leave. And I was so sad. And then, you know, Bill O'Hara standing there like, well, shit, you know what? I'm going to hold this because he'll come back. No, no, no. Sergeant Bill, it's not going to happen. I was just like, I was I was emotional, you know what I mean? The whole episode and and trying to talk to Sean. I couldn't even talk to Sean because I was crying. Oh. <laughs> Now, one of the one of the cool things about uh, your scene, Perry, is uh, we talked about it uh, that you got to play um, your instrument. I don't I don't want to mispronounce uh, the name of your instrument, but uh, that's you playing your instrument as you're walking away. That's I mean that's on the powerful scene visually, and then you have you playing your instrument, and just makes it so much more touching. I think that was a, a gift from Jonathan Trauber. You know, like that, like I. I they, you know, the original one of the original producers that um, moved on to another project, Danielle Woodrow. Woodrow, right? Um, yeah. She asked, she asked what I did, and I said, well, I, you know, she asked about my flutes. You know, she's, I guess, she was following my Instagram, <laughs> and I went, well, yeah, I'm a flute maker, also. You know, she goes, really? Tell me about that. You know, so you know, it's a, it's just another life that's the opposite of acting. You know, it's like out of the spotlight you're alone in in the workshop with a piece of bamboo you know so i tell her about that she goes what would what would you do if with the shakuhachi and warrior and i was like oh well you know i i, I guess she was asking about soundtracks so i i, I lay down a soundtrack with a hip-hop beat and she um sent it to her she went oh that's amazing and two weeks later they wrote father june in playing the flute like i didn't even think about that oh wow i'm playing the father june is playing the flute so, you know, in order to, to get that scene right, I, I um, to fill it up, I, I did a lot of improvisation with the composer and then they, they use that. Oh, actually, I went to visit you, Karen, and right after I visited you in London, I went to do the recording. That's for right. The, for the flute at, at a, uh, <laughs> for a ADR. Anyway, so I recorded a lot of flute music improvisation and they used it throughout season one and two, sprinkled here and there. Awesome. And so I didn't know that by, when they, by the end of the season two, when I'm walking away, that they chose, they found the piece to use, you know, that I played oh earlier so cool. in season one. I went, that's me yeah. as I was walking oh away watching it. And I was like, Jonathan was like, let's put that flute in there. Uh, it was kind of a, it was a touching moment. And that's yeah. just how, shows how cool, cool our producers are. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I remember, I remember in, in, during the course of filming the, you know, the, the, over the course of filming the two series, We'd obviously go around and see each other's places and hang out, you know, see what people have brought over from their home or whatever. And I remember coming, having seen Perry's going over for dinner at one point, and it made like my living situation just like made a complete joke of it. He, it was so cool. He had like a pile of bamboo flutes that he'd made himself 
on wow. his kitchen table. Wow. And we, he, we just came in and was like, just pick one, I'll teach you how to use it. It was amazing. Like, wow. it was, I, I just, the level of skill is very cool. Very cool. Hey, can I, can I share a screen with you guys? Sure, absolutely. By all absolutely. Means, go right yeah. ahead. Oh, I hit screen. Oh, this is host disabled participant oh. screen sharing. Here we go. Fix it, Adam. Hurry up. (laughs) It's so funny that that, uh, you mentioned that, um, Tom, uh, because I found a shot. I I was thinking, what can I post that has Tom and Kieran in it? Should be able to do it now. Have you got got a picture of us there? Yeah. Let me see if I can find it. I think I've got a video. Can you guys see it? Is it on? Uh, It says photos photos for eBay. Oh no! Wait, I got. It. Wait, no. Oh, because I got. Wait, it's on here. I can't share it. It's, it's on my screen. I see it full screen, but you guys don't see it. Oh, well. oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's a picture of Kieran playing my guitar, and Tom sitting next to him in my living room. Um. Oh, that's too bad. Anyway, uh, maybe I'll, I'll send it to you later. I think I've got video of Perry teaching Tom and I to play his flutes, <laughs> and he has he has like an array of different sized flutes on a table and we would we were sort of in awe of it and he's, he's telling us about scales and technique and all oh, sorts of stuff. oh there it is there it is there's the picture oh, right there this is a classical guitar stance for the <laughs> yeah for the um folksy classical electric guitar player um we uh yeah we were sort of marveling at all of his different flutes <laughs> and he's got all these different tools and then we were like wow what's this flick knife for? What do you use that for? And he's like, oh, that's for self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was trying to work that. Um, I think there was a butterfly knife. I was trying it to was. work it in was to the character and I was trying to convince yeah. Brett to let me use it in one scene. And um, I, I, it just didn't, yeah, it didn't work. It but, was just uh, so funny with like all of his tools and his like this him, incredible, historic, creative craft that Perry is like one of the world's leading pioneers of and uh and all these tools and then what's this <laughs> I, just shows <laughs> I, I think <laughs> i think i was actually trying to fit it in also to that scene in episode three where i'm carving a flute and talking to young june about yeah. his, where his mother was where you know when his mother left him on the step what kind of knife am i actually using to carve so i was kind of experimenting with different knives um so cool yeah those guys are i mean you know it's a gift i think i think the the writers are uh, yeah they just kind of it's a gift to be on the show Absolutely. it's a gift to watch it yeah <laughs> I, yeah a hundred percent yeah unreal man I, I i hope it comes back you know with this new move with going to hbo max i hope it comes back and i hope that that this platform is able to generate enough you know, people interest, you know, we got to get people to get fired up about, you know, thanks for your help. Thank you so much for your help. Cause I've seen our audience base grow tremendously in, in the, yeah, by the second season. I think it is exploded and I can't wait to see what happens when HBO max actually starts to stream it. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be like, yeah. I mean, and, and the response from everyone is like, it can't just end now. We got to have a season three. Yeah. It's like, yeah. thank you for, thank you for helping. 
No, uh, we, I mean it's our it's our absolute pleasure uh, just to just to be able to view such a like I mean like we talked about uh, our last podcast. I don't remember a TV show that has this kind of impact on uh, mm. me, uh, the rest of the audience that are Warrior fans. You know, that's just it's everything. You guys as actors, uh, the stunt coordinators, uh, the music the scenery, everything is just top notch. And uh, it's, it's just, I think it's an important, important show that mirrors what's going on in, to, in today's society. And, um, you know, like Adam said, uh, it's going to a, a new, a new platform that's brand new to HBO even. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that there'll be a brand new audience and there'll be a brand new show to it's people. Gross, and yeah. You know, we'll we'll continue to get this pushed, and you know, if they're wise about it, they they should pick it up. Uh, mm-hmm. If not, Netflix or somebody out there hopefully picks it up. No, oh, I hope so too, because man, I, I'm holding that gasoline. I'll hold that gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's do this. I'll set that fire, man. This warrior is like I said. Sean's got a new tattoo. It says "Warrior" across his chest. I did it myself in marker. It's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then you have we have uh, you know the lockdowns. I th- I think definitely are uh, I think I think they're a blessing and a, and a curse um, to to uh, the film industry. Um, I, I'm not a part of it, so I don't I don't know really how it goes when it wasn't COVID. But I'm I'm sure there's a lot more uh, publicity uh, stuff like that. You know, we have the uh, comic cons where you get to meet the characters and you know you grow your audience. So uh, we're having to do it through. Uh, the, the fan base, you know, the Facebook groups, uh, our, our podcast, you know, it's, it's kind of weird having to do it through other platforms. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard, but we're persistent. Oh, very, <laughs> very, very persistent. I, I actually, uh, I have the email for one of the, uh, executors for, uh, HBO max. I haven't, I haven't sent them anything yet. Cause I, 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 I don't want to screw it up. I got, I think I have one shot. So, uh, make actually, a camp. Miss, yeah. Miss Olivia Chang actually uh, gave me that email. Oh, <laughs> I talked to her, yeah. so uh, I've, I've been holding on to it and just haven't written the email yet. But I'm gonna I'm gonna send them an email here once they start uh, streaming Warrior. That's awesome, Mr. Well, Perry. Mr. Perry, what did you do for your mental health this week? <laughs> I did what I do every day. I played the Shakuhachi. <laughs> I just got through playing the Shakuhachi just a little while ago. That's oh awesome. man, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, I have people who, <clears throat> excuse me, who, who tell me, it's like, you know, we perceived you as a tough guy who didn't give a shit about anything, <laughs> but here you are on your podcast talking about feelings and talking about, Hey, you know, reach out and talking to, and I'm constantly promoting, you know, Hey, you know, there's suicide awareness. Hey, somebody's always listening. You know, I talked to tons of people who are, who are just excited. And also they, they stumble on our show. They find all the shows that we do, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just, a tirade of filth and f bombs, and then there's waves of man. I I took off my coat and I sat down and I listened and I felt comfortable. You know what I mean? And I think that when they when they discovered that we talked to know not only about mental health and guitars and tattoos and bad words, <laughs> they found warrior too. You know what I mean? Wow. So that's something big for us. 
and we really do want to see season three. <laughs> yeah. We want to see Officer yeah. Lee come in. I don't care if Officer Lee comes in in Speedos and a cape, man. Come on in, Officer Lee. Something. Kick the door down. <laughs> I mean, I, I would rather not wear the Speedos and the cape. <laughs> None cape down. All right. Forget that thing. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys both had, uh, I guess, somewhat of a, a, a ending. We don't have a cliffhanger for you guys. Uh, you walked, you both kind of walked off uh, the show, and there's just kind of, is just hanging in the air and yeah. every other character really didn't, we didn't, we didn't get quite uh, uh, ending. So we're just sitting at this cliffhanger until, until uh, season three uh, gets made, which I, I think, I think it will. I, I think you guys have just a incredible fan base. And I, I think we're, we're at the bottom here and uh, we haven't even reached the top. Yeah. So, so it's like, it feels like just the beginning. It's. It, it, I mean, yeah, it really, it really does. Even, even, even though that uh, season two has ended, uh, you know, on the Facebook group, there's a couple of people like when uh, episode ten was released. Oh, hey, uh, appreciate everybody here. We'll see you guys later. And I was like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> uh, we're not going anywhere, guys. We we still have all this stuff we can talk about. I mean, we could still be a group, help each other out, uh, help promote. And they're like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, gosh. And then, and then I said, you know, HBO Max is going to start and that's a brand new audience. We need to be here with open arms to uh, get them involved in this uh, discussion as well. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's just the beginning. Yes, the show is technically ended, quote unquote, but I, I think it's the beginning for uh, the rise it's, of Warrior. Thank the you. Show. Thank you. Yeah, I mean the show has ended, but the audience hasn't discovered it yet. It's one of those things. Right. Yeah, we, we had it. It's it's a it's like a club. It's like you're exclusive to the warrior group. <laughs> if you know about it, you know about it. So now yeah. it's going to kind of open up a little bit. I'm hoping. I yeah. think so you know, because, like you know, my <clears throat> my my um my 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 fans. I guess a lot of my fans are Asian Asian Americans, and they they are like we've never had a show like this where we our voice is the centered voice you know in hollywood um major television mainstream television in america has never centered the asian voice i mean um you know kung fu was the biggest thing you know and that was david carradine and that was the thing that you know they stole from bruce lee stole it from bruce lee right so this is the thing that really is the real voice and you know it's you know you can tell like it's authentic because it leaves you wondering. It makes you think, you know, it's mm-hmm. not just entertainment. It makes you really think about what's going on in society, which is uh, Bruce's philosophy is that you got to think about what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, so many Asian Americans are finally going, I, I, I have a feeling because I studied Asian American history. Uh, I had a minor in college as a minor and I had an Asians in the mass media class back then. And there was nothing to look at, to talk about compared to now. And if we had a show like Warrior to look at and talk about, it'd be like, wow, look at that. It says everything about our history, all our struggles, the racism, the laws that were pitted you know, upon us to keep us you know, back. It's all in this show talked yeah. about and you know, presented on a platter to be, you know, it's like medicine yeah. for us to take and heal. You know, it's bitter at first, but it's gonna heal us. So I think that audience, that, that mainstream audience that needs a voice, uh, the other voice, like we'll find it and it's gonna kind of explode. I mean, I've been watching Lovecraft Country on HBO and you know, and I Might Destroy You and Watchmen. And these are HBO shows that are black centered vo- you know, voices. And I think that 
if they if HBO hears that this is another one like that, you need to support this. You know, mm-hmm. it, it can really take off. It really can. I believe so. I yeah. mean, I remember watching, like I said, I grew up watching spaghetti westerns, not an understanding of lick of English, you know, watching it. I just know that this, this tall white dude on a horse come out and kick everybody's ass. You know what I mean? And then watching, you know, all the Bruce Lee movies. I'm like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, wow. And then I'll start, I'll start picking up English and I'm like, why is his lips and his, you know, and it's, they don't match up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, back then. And so then I started then I started picking little pieces of Asian culture from from his movies and then watching him, you know, whatever documentation that we could get, any kind of visual, you know, uh any videos, anything that we could watch and just like watch and captivated by this guy who's sharing Asian culture. And as a as a young Mexican growing up in an all-white community. It was, you know, back way back in the day. It was, I think, when did I grow up? It was like 18, 18. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But, but growing up in this, in this really constricted society where there was nobody like me. There was no Mexicans around. There was no Mexicans around. And, and being, you were in California. Oh, my oh, God. I was in Washington State. Oh, okay. <laughs> so huge difference. I mean, you know, the capital of, uh, of Mexico is Los Angeles. That's beside the point. We won't get into it. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was just so, tr- it was so uh, impactful to see, you know, the Asian American voice. Or at the time, it's like, you know, I, I remember watching Roots where I was exactly. like, holy shit, this is real. This has, there had to be some notes. And then I started digging in anything I could find and started reading. And then I found myself, you know, finding um, a lot of black culture books, uh, a lot of Asian culture books. And of course I wanted to know more about my people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think I, it is important, you know? I, I thought of Roots, you know, cause I saw Roots premiere in the seventies on TV and it was like mind blowing that how, how people treated black, you know, like white people treated black people on television. And I remember just like being sh- a little shocked, you know, and, and um, but when I was watching our episode nine being filmed in, in, you know, season two, I was like brought back to that time. And I was thinking, this is going to air on TV, like lynchings, you know, of our people. I mean, yeah. you know, like we, the last time I saw this was like on Roots. Yes. You know, like. So, and I was, I just went to the filming every day going, oh my God, I'm so blown away by this, that this is going to be on televised. And and people don't know that there are just as many Chinatown lynchings as there were black people's being lynched. Yes. You know, it's just that our voice is so small compared to black voices that we don't know that all these mining towns that were Chinatown mining towns, they were all like burnt down and burnt out, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, this was part of one of the things that I would talk to Brad about. It's like Father June can wander into one of these towns, help organize some of the locals that were being, you know, uh, 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 roughed up, you know? So it was that kind of storyline that we can carry through that was part of history that really happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think the meshing of, of obviously with the United States, you know, and, and now the fact that we have a, the capabilities to speak to somebody in England, you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> in spain or in australia you know i think it now it's going to be it's just going to be this phenomenal thing i hope that this whole education of growth will happen with people and we'll all start becoming realizing oh man you know what there's that he, he's a person too yeah I, I like that guy 
You know what I mean, Ari? <laughs> well, hey, shit, I'm going to go. Eventually, I'm going to fly to the States. I'm going to have some bomb-ass tacos that guy's going to make. You know what I mean? <laughs> By the way, if you guys want tacos, come on over. We got you. Uh, I'll be over. <laughs> I was come telling on. you during our last interview yeah. that I miss I miss Mexican food from, mm. from California, man. Oh, you see, man. You know, that was my favorite. <laughs> I yes. I, I love food. I, I, I can't call it Mexican <laughs> food because, well, I'm Mexican. <laughs> but I love it. You know what I mean? It, food brings everybody together. And, and the internet brings everybody together and brings these countries and cultures and, and forms of communication that everybody understands, whether it be music, whether it be food, whether it be shows, you know? I mean, that's just huge. It's huge. You know, I, I, we're like, uh, we're very honored to speak to all three of you. I'm always honored to speak with Sean, even if I see him and text him all the day. I'm just, I'm, you know, but still, it's it's an honor for me to sit here and be able to speak with you guys, candidly, freely, unmuzzled, and and just to learn about you guys because you guys are great people. You guys are great actors. I mean, you guys sold every bit of. Like I said, you guys took some tears for me. <laughs> you know. What do you guys think is next? What's on the horizon for you guys next? That you could talk uh, about. That, oh yeah, right. We know there's uh, NDAs or whatever you call them. Oh, I mean, I just I just want to get into 2021. I just can't <laughs> wait to get into 2021. So both both uh, you and uh, Kieran are in, uh, based in London. Is that? Yeah. So you yeah. guys are on uh, tier. Do they call it a tier? Lockdown till tier four. Tier, tier four. So is that what is that exactly? So that's basically the. I mean, I didn't even know that there was a tier four until they said it. I don't. There think wasn't. <laughs> they just made oh it up. Just, well, I think they just realized, oh shit, the, everything's on fire. We need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tier four. No, I think you can meet up with one person if you live on your own. Wow. Outside, and that's sort of. It just you know food shopping and non-essential shops have shut completely apparently i did, i thought tier three was non-essential shops shut but it, i didn't realize it wasn't um and yeah you're only allowed to stand on one leg if you go outside and you have to wear a bag on your head and i don't know <laughs> don't, fucking Kieran, go and support the shops but do it safely go and support the shops but do it from home Right. Yeah, you have to do both. So it, do you, do you guys have like uh, we I call them big box stores here. Like we have Walmart here. Uh, do you guys have like franchise stores there to, that are allowed to be opened? Um, as as in kind of like just uh, food and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Walmart Walmart's like so they do have food in Walmart, uh, but they have like toys and uh, yeah, uh, all that stuff. So they're they're in here in Washington State. They're allowed to be open, but uh, you know the mom and pop uh. Uh, restaurant or uh, food store in my town can't be open, but you can go to Walmart with a hundred something people with the, with the parking lots packed and go get your stuff there, but you can't do it in a small shop. Mm. So is that, is that, is that similar to you guys there? Yes. Or, yes it is yeah. similar actually. Yeah. yeah it is similar. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me that that's allowed. I go, we, we have uh, online, we get our groceries online and then I can drive, I could call uh, Walmart and then they put the groceries in my, in my trunk. So I don't, I don't actually have to go inside with the other hundred something people in Walmart. Walmart's a filthy store in itself, but uh, mm. 
you know, that's, I play, that's why I play Walmart bingo out. You know, that's where you get the bearded lady, you get the, the NASCAR clothing. That's beside the point. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Sean. Yeah, no, no, you're good. No, but I mean, you know, our, our governor here in Washington state has, has allowed that, but yet I can't go into a, a small shop uh, where they could restrict uh, the number of customers in there. They could clean it easier, stuff like that. That's I, you kind know, of what this year has kind of felt like, hasn't it? You've been yeah. guessing at what the rules are half of the time yes conferring with people going is this what this means and, it, yeah. and kind of cobbling together this idea that the fucking conversation for the last three weeks before we entered tier four was what what is a scotch egg that's basically the whole fucking conversation has been is that a full meal and uh, all the papers <laughs> on. i just uh, saw an she article in the u.s side that says boris johnson Bans Christmas. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's is, like he's the burgermeister. The, wow. the thing, <laughs> the thing is, I, I I always expected Christmas to have more restriction, and that inevitably we would end up with restrictive measures. But they didn't tell us properly until a couple of days ago. So by then, everyone had made plans to travel, or they'd shopped, and then they were going to have a press conference at one o'clock. They had one at four. By the time they told everybody, a lot of people went, oh, well, we've got to leave now, which meant all the train stations got packed up. Oh, and damn. we talked about throughout this pandemic worldwide, as we've watched in various countries, as there's been these like super spreader events as people have collected and then traveled. Like we're like, isn't that what's happening? Because they're, they're also reporting that there's a new strain, another new strain of it. Yeah. Oh and, and, you know, I've got family members that work in hospitals and, I always check in with them and say, how are you? How are you getting on? What's going on? Because there's so much cognitive distance, there's so much information and an opinion everywhere on social media and whatnot that I need to often get a check-in from somebody tangible who I trust, who I can say, what's the crack? And they've said, yeah, it would be really great if people could wear masks and wash their hands and social distance and help us because we are exhausted and this, these, these things are real. And you can you can argue about the percentages but you know it's overloading services that we all really need and require and i have and other family members who are having to go in and out of hospital for a variety of different things right now mm -hmm. um, oh you know i could see season three right now for warrior <laughs> where there's a plague in chinatown and they just oh, come yeah. in <laughs> well actually it's a true story there was yeah. there was some flu going around in san francisco and then they the the mayor put barbed wire around the whole Chinatown. Wow. China. Basically, they blamed it on the Chinese uh, when it was just the city. Yeah, like the, the the Chinatown denizens woke up one morning and there's barbed wire around Chinatown. Like they couldn't leave. So wow. that that's the storyline we're living right now in Warrior. Uh, yeah, China. yeah. I mean, that, that plays right hand in hand what's kind of going let's on Let's just now. write it out right now. Let's just do this real yeah. quick. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I got ten bucks. Let's let's do this film real quick. Yeah, I have I have ten acres here in Washington. If you guys uh, can't get back to Cape Town, you you are free to use my ten acres. There's eighteen acres above me. I'm sure that uh, we could work something out with that gentleman if you need if you need a proper place to go. 